Well, top of the morning to you. Uh, this is our key market drivers call for Tuesday, the 26th of April. As we always start the call, uh, if you have any questions that come up while you're listening to the podcast or watching the YouTube video, please don't hesitate to uh, pick up the phone and give us a call or shoot us an email. We're certainly happy to hear from you. We'd be very happy to answer any questions that you might have. When we look across the grains and oilseed complex this week, uh, really the big mover was uh, a soybean oil. Uh, wheat, I think wheat futures across the board were down a bit uh, when you look at Friday close, over Friday close. Uh, most of the other ags uh, outside of wheat were up, but pretty modestly for the most part, uh, with the exception of soybean oil futures, which took a big jump, about 435 points, I believe. Uh, it's about five and a half percent in a single week. So that's a pretty big jump. And the primary reason for that was a really big jump in prices on Friday. Now, it was up in the during the week prior to that, but it really was the Friday news from the Indonesian president. You can see there in the top bullet. It came out Friday after the palm oil market had closed. So we didn't see the explosive price increase on palm oil last Friday because, again, the announcement came after the market closed. And very simply announced, without consulting his trade minister or industry officials or anything else, just that they were going to ban the exports of palm oil. Now, I'll show you on a chart here when I get to the appropriate slide why that's not only a big deal or would have been a big deal, but an impossibly large deal. Because India actually uh, exports uh, most of what they produce. They only consume a small percentage of it internally. Uh, even though it's not officially reported, we are told by industry sources that the tanks are already relatively full in India. So there's no way they could actually pull this off. Uh, why would the president do this? Well, Indonesia is a very poor country. Uh, his approval rating was falling quite hard, and the primary reason for that was supposed to be food inflation. And food inflation, as we talked last week, is being led higher by vegetable oil prices. So there was actually protest in the street and everything else. This was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, the funny cartoon in the upper right-hand corner is uh, because he came back out then Monday during the trading session and said, well, just kidding, kind of. Uh, we're only going to ban the exports of refined palm olein. So uh, still a big deal, but not nearly as big a deal as I'll show you when I get to the uh, appropriate slide. I think the other theme for the week here is that planning progress. We, we've talked the last couple of weeks. We're getting out of the gate pretty slow. Uh, that continues. We are falling further behind, as I will show you, and Scott will show you uh, behind the five-year average on planting. And when I show you the weather forecast, uh, it really doesn't look like it's going to catch up uh, anytime very soon. I think the other weather problem, and Scott will talk much more uh, about this, is you know, it seems like we're in one of those patterns again that the areas that are wet are going to stay wet. Uh, the areas, especially the hard red winter wheat area that we are dry, that we could certainly use a drink, doesn't appear to have an enormous amount of rain chances in the next couple of weeks. So we kind of need this rainy pattern to slide a bit further to the west, but uh, Mother Nature doesn't seem to be actually too inclined that direction at this particular point. So let me talk about the palm oil uh, situation here, and I, I apologize for the eye chart here, but uh, what you're looking at, this is world veg oil production. The top part of the grid is that production, which is about 212 million metric tons annually. 
is broken out by oil type. You can see that palm, as you knew, is the largest produced and traded of the world veg oils, followed by soy, canola, and sun. The bottom part of the grid is the same 212 million metric tons. It's just broken out by country. And you can see there that Indonesia is the world's largest producer of veg oil. They're not only the world's largest producer of veg oil, but they're almost twice as big as China, which is in the number two slot. So uh, to say Indonesia is a big part of world trade of veg oil is probably the understatement of the week. Indonesia, as you can see, produces a little over 51 and a half million metric tons, or that's what they're forecast to produce this year. They only consume about 18 of that, 18 million metric tons of that domestically. Half of that is for food. The other half of that is for biodiesel and oleochemicals. So only about less than 20% of what they produce is consumed internally for food. And with internal stockpiles estimated about 5 million metric tons, the tanks are actually relatively full right now. So if they weren't going to export anything, that really... Uh, that really changes a lot. It also fills the tanks up. And unlike soybean oil or canola oil that you could simply stop crushing the, the oil seed, these trees are going to produce fruit. They're going to produce fruit every day, every week, every month, and it's got to go somewhere. So uh, the clarification helps a little bit. Um, you can see some of the other statistics here. I don't guess I need to read them to you, but um, uh, Indonesia accounts for over 24% of world production of veg oil. Um, and palm oil itself, accounting Malaysia along with that, is, is about 60% of world trade in veg oil. This, unlike the Black Sea sun oil, uh, this is a problem that you, you can't fix. Uh, this is a hole that can't be filled if, in fact, they would have stopped. What uh, the, the clarification that they were only going to stop the exportation of refined palm oil, that still accounts for about 40% of their exports. Uh, that is not to assume, I don't believe, I think we would be remiss in assuming that that meant that their exports will fall 40%. Uh, they can simply export larger percentages of whole palm oil. Uh, in other words, the mix of the products that they export might change. I would think that their exports will drop a bit, but not that full 40% that is currently exported as uh, palm oil. One of the aggravating factors here, we know that veg oil prices have been high. Uh, that's been aggravated as we've talked in the past about with high energy costs. It's certainly been aggra aggravated by the 7% of world trade that comes out of the Black Sea in the form of sun oil. Um, but part of the uh, aggravation of the liquid oil, which is the primary food product sold inside, Mo uh, inside Indonesia, uh, it's the bottled oil in the store, is liquid palm olein. Export demand for palm olein has risen because another liquid oil, that being sun oil coming out of the Black Sea, has been disrupted by obviously what's going on in the, with the war in Ukraine. And so you have this yet another domino effect of messing with the supply chain globally. So that's really the picture there. I think the market's trying to figure out just how much exports will drop out of Indonesia because of this ban. I think the market's also trying to figure out how long this lasts. Uh, clearly with the tank situation uh, in Indonesia, um, clearly as we move into the spring and summer months where the palm trees will produce more, um, 
They can't step out of the world export market for very long without filling up the tanks and costing themselves money. I think when you look at Indonesia as a country, uh, palm oil and rubber are the two big exportable products that help drive their economy. So I think the trade's thought on this is that it probably won't last an extended period of time, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. As you've heard me say many times before, I would rather try to predict the weather, which is, by the way, impossible, than to try to predict government action. So any rate, there we go. Uh, let's talk a little bit about planting. I mentioned we're falling even further behind. We got 7% of our U.S. corn planted. That's a little bit less than the five-year average of 15%. Read an article this morning that that's the slowest pace of corn planting in the U.S. since 2013. But the same article that I read this morning also reminded that, you know, it's a little bit early uh, to get too worked up about this. Uh, as I mentioned last week, and I think I, uh, it's even more important to mention this this week, it's not the 7% that is maybe the bigger problem. It's when you combine the 7% planted on corn with the weather forecast that I'm getting ready to show you uh, that I think is what is causing the market a bit more reason here for concern. Soybean planting, again, it's way too early to get too wound up about this. We have 3% of our soybeans planted nationally, a couple ticks behind the five-year average, but we're really not usually getting a whole lot of soybeans in the ground uh, at this point as well. Winter wheat conditions uh, also, uh, I think, were one of the big things that are driving wheat prices this week. And I'll kind of turn it to Scott to, to give us the update, not just on conditions and planting progress on spring wheat, but also uh, any other wheat news that he has today. Yeah, I, I think that um, uh, wheat, winter wheat conditions, um, especially when you look at the hard red winter wheat conditions, uh, go in that uh, technical category of they suck. It's bad, yeah. It's, it's really not very good at all in the, in the hard red winter wheat um, uh, areas. Um, you know, Dave mentioned that we were down week over week, and we were. Uh, by, you know, small percentage points, Chicago being the biggest down almost 3% uh, and 31 cents. But we've been on a quite the roller coaster ride. And I want to make sure that everybody remembers that on a, on a year over year basis, Chicago wheat is up 72%. Minneapolis wheat is uh, up 16%. And oh, check that. I had that wrong. Chicago was up 65%, Kansas City up 72%, Minneapolis up 16%. So um, it's not a it, it's not a, a fun pricing uh, environment right now, and it's driven by really three things in in wheat right now. It's driven by conditions. It's obviously driven by Russia and Ukraine and, and what's going on over there. And then lastly, I think by by exports uh, that there are keeping our our numbers up there. I mentioned uh, uh, the conditions a little bit. What you see there at 27% good to excellent, that's down three week over week uh, versus 49% what we had a year ago. That's the worst total national winter wheat condition since we've had uh, since 1999. Um, so we, we obviously need some help there in, in the Western uh, part of the growing region. Heading is a little bit behind. We're at 11% versus 19 on average. Um, spring wheat planting is a little bit behind as well, but nothing to get terribly concerned about yet, except for the fact that we've got a lot of snow 
uh, up in those areas right now. How in the world do they have 4% of the North Dakota crop planted? I thought the whole state was under two foot of snow. Well, it's got to be, it's almost all got to be in the far uh, east there in Red River Valley, I would think. But that's, if, if it doesn't have snow on it, it's very wet. So yeah. it's a good question. Yeah. Um, so if, if we, if we turn our attention then to, that's kind of the conditions of, of, of our crop. Um, looking at the Black Sea, Russia, Ukraine, we've, we've had some uh, analysts start to come out with some ideas, some, some better ideas, firming their numbers up on the Ukraine crop. Um, IGC, which is the International Grains Council, uh, they're pegging that Ukraine wheat crop at 18.6 million metric tons. APK Inform is a Ukrainian uh, analyst, so they're right there on the ground in Ukraine. They have raised their number up to 17 million tons, but uh, you know, as as you uh, probably see there, it's still below the IGC. That's somewhere between 43 and 48 percent below what they did a year ago, which was 33 million metric tons. So the, looking for a little bit over half of last of the prior year's crop. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, when you look at Russia right now, so Econ is is uh, probably the premier analyst over there in Russia. They have the new crop uh, in Russia pegged at 87.4. So it would be a record. Wouldn't that it? would be a record. Um, now, again, it's early and we have a long ways to go, but but it is certainly early. Um, and then finally on exports, you know, we um, our U.S. hard wheat at the Gulf is still far and away the, the most expensive wheat in the world, if you don't count Durham, right? We're at uh, $512 a metric ton. When you compare that to our soft red at the Gulf, which is around four and a half, 447 at the Gulf. And that 447 is getting a little bit more competitive with some of the others uh, in the world. Uh, France is at 440, Argentina is at 439, but, uh, even though we don't have any quoted numbers out of Ukraine or um, I sh or should say like listed or posted numbers from Russia, Russia is still trading right now at around 380 uh, FOB. Wow. So so they remain the uh, the low guy out there. And, um, you know, that's something that we're going to be watching. But we're uh, again, the, the headline for wheat here in the States and for our pricing is going to be conditions. And, you know, we have a ways to go. We're about 45 days, you know, 40, 45 days away from uh, really getting into harvest. Yep. So. And while we're talking about wheat, uh, uh, we don't have it in the deck this week because uh, the StatsCan numbers just came out this morning after we went to press. Uh, but a little bit of a surprise here from StatsCan, bullish canola, bearish wheat. Uh, canola planted area from just under 22.5 million acres last year. The trade was looking for a small decline. I think the average trade estimate was about 22.2 million acres, all the way down to 20.8. Wheat acres up from 23.3 last year. The trade was looking for something around 24, all the way up to about 25, even a whisker over 25 million acres. So, a uh, pretty big switch away from canola into wheat. Uh, I don't know if the nitrogen thing is probably, we talked about that in, in, with respect to our USDA uh, perspective plantings report a couple weeks ago. Uh, wheat certainly requires a good bit of nitrogen fertilizer, but I think it's a, a much less expensive crop to put in the ground than is canola. 
uh, and uses a bit less nitrogen. So uh, maybe that nitrogen issue seems to be biting again when it comes to canola acres, but it looks like a pretty good uptick in wheat. Uh, I will say this, it'll be interesting to see the market's reaction to this because uh, StatsCan has got a bit of a long and storied history of producing numbers that uh, don't seem to bear a whole lot of uh, resemblance to reality and they have to be changed from time to time. So sometimes when you get a report like this from StatsCan, the market kind of writes it off as uh, probably not accurate. I guess we'll have to wait and see what the market reaction is here. Um, the managed money, we have a little bit of a different format on this slide this week. We apologize for that. We don't have the percent of open interest, but I think the message, if you look at this center box here, which is the managed money, uh, really outside of a small sell-off of Chicago wheat, which the spec doesn't have a lot of investment in anyway, uh, as we thought might be the case, you see all the green numbers there uh, in the grain section at the top. Spec was a buyer of just about all things ag. Uh, certainly all things in the green and oil seed complex, again, with the tiny exception being Chicago wheat, soft wheat. So the commodity casino remains open and business is brisk. So let's talk about uh, weather and, and uh, soil temperatures. You can see we didn't make an enormous amount of progress here in Iowa. We've got a little bit more yellow starting to creep back into Iowa. Um, we are seeing, as is, is, as is almost always the case here in the last half of April, even though we're still unseasonably cool, we are starting to see soil temperatures warm. Uh, that's the good news. I think as I, I'm gonna show you here in a second, maybe the bad news is um, the moisture I'm gonna show you. Rain makes grain. We love to have rain and we love to get soil moisture conditions recharged at this time of the year, but uh, getting a little bit too much of a recharge is I'm gonna show you in some areas. You can see the last seven days of precip here. Um, North Dakota got a ton of rain. South Dakota got quite a bit of rain. Um, those are areas, if you remember from the week prior, that were already quite saturated. Another good dose of moisture right here, if I can get my cursor to show up, right here through the heart of the Corn Belt. Missouri that was already wet, got more moisture. Illinois that was already wet, more moisture. Iowa's getting uh, some moisture that'll slow them up a little bit, but probably a little bit more of a welcome sign. Um, so where are we? Well. It, it, it's probably going to seem odd that I'm going to I put these drought maps in here, but I, I put them in here because I think it shows us crop by crop kind of where we're at here. Um, the winter wheat crop, specifically the hard red winter wheat crop, is the area that we, we still can't seem to buy a rain. I'm going to show you the next two weeks of forecast here very shortly. Uh, and it doesn't change a lot, unfortunately. We're going to stay a bit dry out here to the west where we need the moisture. We get 70% of the hard red winter wheat crop currently in some semblance of drought conditions. Just to be clear, that's winter wheat total. Total winter but wheat. But it's far and away slanted towards hard yeah, red winter wheat. it's gotta be 90 something of the hard red winter wheat area uh, is dry. We talked about that a bit on last week's call. 40% uh, of the spring wheat area in the U.S. is under uh, drought conditions. This map is as of April 19th, which was last, middle of last week, I suspect with the rain last week and with the forecast I'm going to show you, uh, that red percentage you see there in the bottom left-hand corner has got to be shrinking and shrinking very fast. We're getting quite a bit of rainfall here in the soft, in the spring wheat area. That's the good news. Kind of the same with uh, corn area. You've only got 29% of U.S. corn ground is uh, under drought conditions. That too will be a smaller number next week uh, because of where the rain is falling. 
and only 19% of soybean area. And the thing, when you look at the Dakotas up here and you look at how far this red encroaches, uh, I would think a lot of this would be would be retreating here with the rain we're getting. The problem is kind of right down here in hardware winter wheat ground that we've talked to. But uh, I think what we're going to find out when we see this slide in a week, certainly in two weeks, if the rain I'm getting ready to show you here comes to pass, we might have that soybean area down to you know single digits here shortly. And here's the start of the reason why. Uh, here's your seven-day forecast. Uh, Missouri is going to get pounded again. Uh, they are already saturated. Uh, we're going to get some much-needed rain here in Omaha, or actually Waterloo, Nebraska, the eastern side of Nebraska. We have been very, very dry here. Uh, but look at that rain event up in the uh, uh, up into the Dakotas. Uh, quite a bit of additional heavy rain. This is on top of uh, feet of snow, not inches of snow, but feet of snow that we've had up in the Dakotas. Uh, this is this would really be the third significant rain event now. Uh, in the last three and a half weeks, I believe, up in that area. So they are, um, unfortunately, I think this happened about four years ago. They seem to be dry and then got a year's worth of rainfall in about a month or a month and a half. And that seems to be the case uh, once again, as we look at that part of the uh, country. As you look out into the second week, uh, you see the warmer air, more normal spring-like conditions on the temperature side, on the left-hand side. Uh, that's good news for soil temperature. Um, but if you look at the other side, the right-hand side of the map, the precip side of the map, uh, you've got a lot of green showing and even some dark green showing uh, in some areas. Um, the Dakotas in the 8 to 14 day, dark green. Missouri in the 8 to 14 day, dark green. Um, probably not good because the opposite of what I tell you in the fall of the year um, you know, the, the eight to four, the six to 10 and eight to 14 day outlooks are simply as a percent of normal rainfall. Spring normal rainfall is typically quite a bit more significant than what we would expect in September and October when we're starting to try to harvest. Uh, and so above normal and much above normal precip generally is quite a bit of rainfall. So uh, it does look like from these forecast maps that we are going to go from uh, behind planting on corn to well behind planting on corn. And I would I think the market would probably take this up uh, as a bit more of a significant issue. Looking north of the border, they're fighting the same problems that we have. Uh, they've got too much moisture and it's too cool uh, in, uh, <clears throat> in uh, Manitoba, which is the far Eastern province there. Saskatchewan looks to be in good shape. The further West you go, just like here in the US, uh, the drier it seems to look. Another area of concern here, we've talked about the Safrina corn crop. Uh, this is a weather pattern that would indicate that maybe for a second year now in a row here, we're having a bit of a premature end to the rainy season. That does not bode well for the Safrina corn crop. Uh, Cordonier and other analysts that we follow still have not reduced the size of their estimated corn production in Brazil, but I suspect with this forecast that uh, we can't be more than another week or so. Uh, from that. So we did get the crop in early. We did get a lot of good moisture on it early. Uh, so it doesn't look like we're going to be anywhere near the washout that we had last year with this Frina corn crop, but we do seem to be nipping this crop a bit uh, at the end. And so I think that's all we've got for the first part of this with the grains and oil seeds. I'll uh, throw it back over to Scott to talk a bit about what we found out here in the last week in the, the dairy sector. 
Yeah, well, the, the big news that we got last week uh, are that we've got our March reports out, and I'll get to that in just a second. But you can see there the price action on, on cheese. We we had a bit of a dip midweek, uh, but kind of came right back up to that, uh, you know, just shy of the 240 mark. I think that is mainly driven by demand. We, we continue to see that uh, retail and export demand uh, increasing and being very strong. And, and I think even that uh, food service is starting to gain uh, some strength. So that that appears to be what we're seeing there uh, on the cheese side of things. And um, uh, I'll get to that on the, the cold storage side of things, but that's why we see prices go up. You see the international prices there uh, at 245 for uh, a German uh, Edom. And then if you look all the way down the bottom bullet there, uh, the, the global dairy index, even though that cheese prices was down almost four and a half percent, that's still 281 on cheese. So that's why I, I continue to think that we gain, uh, uh, you know, a strong price environment here in, in the States on cheese. Even though it's down, you don't expect exports to fall off. Money. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, when you talk about uh, butter, you know, uh, our inventories are, are kind of mixed, and I think part of that is due to uh, ice cream season, really, uh, you know, more and more and more. Uh, it's April. We haven't even completely gotten to ice cream season yet, but a lot of that gets put in freezers, you know, so to get ready. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's already uh, rolling along, but those prices have kind of come down there. Now we're in the mid-260s. Um, uh, interesting that that both sectors continue to whine about uh, labor issues, but you know I guess that's not a, a big thing. We hear about labor issues really everywhere. Um, so go to the next slide and and we'll look at milk production. Kind of a neutral report, really. Uh, we were we were down just a little bit year over year. Uh, you see, they're down a half a percent year over year, but that was kind of what was being expected. Uh, the kickers on that are that um, it, it was better than the last two months, certainly, uh, but that's five months in a row now of being below what we were a year ago. Uh, the other thing I think that helped things out just a little bit, made it more of a neutral report, is that we actually had cow numbers go up month over month. We're still down year over year. Um, you know, but but we we did see an increase there. It's the second month in a row of of small increases in the herd size after yep. multiple months of of liquidation of the herd. So I guess that's a welcome sign. Right, right. And then finally, the cold storage on the next slide is is the other thing. And this is, I think, where you get a little bit more of your bullishness, especially on on cheese. You can see there that we're down uh, seven tenths of a percent year over year. Um, and month over month, we were down when normally this time of year, you're building stocks. Um, and, and you see there the little bullet. That's the first time month over month we have declined in these two months, Feb to March, uh, since 2011. We just typically don't see that. So we're seeing a big pull out of those stocks. And, and we think a lot of that is just simply driven by demand. Uh, on the butter side of things, a little bit better. We were down pretty significantly year over year, but gained uh, month over month um, and actually more than doubled what our normal month over month uh, gain is. So that feels a lot better, I guess, on, on butter. Um, so that that's uh, about all I got on uh, on dairy this week.
Well, all right. And as we typically say to end this up, that is our story this week, and we are sticking to it. Uh, as always, uh, and again, from the beginning here, if you have any questions, uh, please contact us. We would love to uh, We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to answer your questions. And as always, and especially in these uh, historically crazy commodity markets, uh, be careful out there.